Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Welcome back to a new episode. It's June 19th. I think today is uh, Juneteenth, so hopefully you're all home for this uh, national and federal holiday, I believe it is now, and you've got nothing to do but listen to me, how lucky you are. Now, there's there's two things I want to talk about today. One of them, obviously, look, I, I don't want to talk about Trump anymore, but I, I don't think there's really any much of a choice. I mean, I promised that I wouldn't, but his latest indictment in Florida, it came during my brief hiatus, and it's the only thing in the news, so I don't really have much of a choice but to talk about it. Now, I want to talk about it a little bit differently than perhaps all the other 14 trillion people on TV and online have talked about it. I want to focus on something a little different than just the indictment, part of the indictment, but also Trump's inability to hire competent attorneys. And this is something that I have some insight on because I'm an attorney and I've gotten interviewed on very big, uh, high-profile cases and other cases, big cases I've taken. So I sort of understand what's going on uh, in the Trump representation, uh, perhaps more than the average bear does. And it's not just that he can't hire competent attorneys, it's that he seems to have utterly no control over the lawyers that he has hired, and he doesn't seem to show any interest in wanting to exercise any control over the lawyers, which is bizarre to me because this isn't like some tiny civil case, but this is a criminal case which could result in him dying in prison. So it seems all a little odd, but I suppose it's on brand for Trump. It, it took over two years, just so you know, from the time when the National Archives began asking Trump for the missing presidential records through the criminal investigation until his indictment. It's like two plus years. And yet Trump is interviewing lawyers after he was indicted. Two years. And now he's interviewing lawyers. And what does that tell you? I mean... Normally, you have your legal team in place from the beginning or at least close to the beginning once you learn that you have an investigation. If you run out of money, that's one reason why you may need to hire new lawyers because you can't afford the ones you have. But that's not the case for Trump. Not at all. He had all the time to get his lawyers in place and he just hasn't. And it's going to sound like a familiar refrain, but is this the kind of guy you want leading the free world? A guy who can't even hire a legal team? And, you know, how about forget having to lead it, be the leader, because ostensibly the client, he should be somewhat of a leader of the team. How about just hiring a team? It seems too much. And any way you look at the indictment, and I really, I, I implore you to read the indictment. It's not all legal gobbledygook. There is some stuff, uh, all the factual stuff that you can understand. It's clear as a bell. And it's laid out so awfully by first showing in the indictment Trump's understanding in his own words that classified national secrets can't be held by non-presidents and how important it is to keep this classified information private. And in painstaking detail in the indictment, list the efforts that Trump made to hide the records, to avoid giving them back, directing others to obstruct justice. And the evidence against Trump, it's all in the indictment. This is a rarity. Normally, you get a bare-bones indictment, and you have to wait for the discovery phase of the case to have an idea what the evidence is. It's all in the indictment. All the evidence, it comes from his own lawyers, from his own employees. It's, it's a preposterous case. 
His behavior is so incredibly stupid, you actually need to read the indictment to understand it fully. Don't take it from me. For something as stupid as this, the National Archives simply asking for presidential records back, lying to his lawyers, telling them not to give the records back, none of it makes any sense. There was just no need for this case at all. It's just another Trump, Trump made debacle. It's another own goal is what I would call it. I'm going to read a little bit from the indictment, just so you can have an idea in terms of the chronology and what they're trying to lay out. In May of 2021, Trump directed that a storage room on the ground floor of the Mar-a-Lago Club be cleaned out so that it could be used to store his boxes. The hallway leading to the storage room could be reached from multiple outside entrances, including one accessible from the Mar-a-Lago Club pool patio through a doorway that was often kept open. The storage room was near the liquor supply closet, linen room, lock shop, and various other rooms. You know, these are nuclear secrets. These are military secrets. Eventually, more than 80 boxes of Trump's presidential records, including classified top-secret records, ended up in this storage room. And eventually, some of the boxes fell over and their contents spilled out. Other boxes were moved into bathrooms, into showers. Some were put onto a stage inside Mar-a-Lago because you got to have a stage when you're Trump. Got to have a stage in all your homes. Pictures of all the boxes, they're all included in the indictment, in the bathroom, as I said, on the stage. Now, Mar-a-Lago is a place that has hundreds of functions a year where tens of thousands of people traipse around inside. Spies have been caught Inside Mar-a-Lago, Chinese spy. I have a Russian client who was investigated for spying at Mar-a-Lago. Yes, it's true. And Trump has this stuff all over the place there. He also had some of the boxes containing classified and confidential records moved to his other home, which of course naturally is another golf club, this one in Bedminster, New Jersey. And as an aside, I'm going to ask you this. What kind of asshole has two homes? And they're both inside of golf clubs. That's a guy who's a gold bricker. He's not looking to work, right? I mean, you work. I work. We don't live on a golf course. Now, Trump has come out in his defense and said that the boxes they wanted, that the National Archives wanted back, were pictures and personal items, newspaper clippings. It's just another flat-out lie. And it's all laid out in the indictment. I don't even like this prosecutor. I've dealt with him in cases before. I don't like him. There were military secrets in the boxes. Some of the secrets in protected terms are included in the indictment. Yet Trump told his lawyers, he told his aides, quote, I don't want you looking through the boxes. I don't want anyone looking through them. This was all recorded by his attorney. You're wondering, well, how do they know exactly what he said? Well, because his own attorney either wrote it down or recorded exactly what Trump said. There are things in this case, and I tell you this without any kind of hyperbole, there are things that occurred in this case I have never seen in any criminal case or representation in my life. But the main one is that his attorney is the main witness against him. The evidence created against him is from the attorney who was ostensibly working to defend him. This does not happen in real life. Now, here's a quick chronology of events. Let me know if any of this sounds good for Trump to you. 
This is directly from the indictment. As a candidate for president of the United States, Trump made the following public statements, among others, about classified information. On August 18, 2016, Trump said, in my administration, I'm going to enforce all the laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. A few weeks later, on September 6, 2016, Trump said, We also need to fight this battle by collecting intelligence and then protecting protecting our classified secrets. We can't have someone in the Oval Office who doesn't understand the meaning of the word confidential or classified. On September 7, 2016, the next day, Trump stated, One of the first things we must do is to enforce all classification rules and to enforce all laws relating to the handling of classified information. Blah, 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 blah. He, he keeps saying that, and they keep including that in the indictment. All these comments were made in 2016 in the lead-up to the election against Hillary. And Trump was referring to Hillary Clinton and her email controversy and wherein she used a private email server for official public communications rather than using the State Department email accounts that she was supposed to use that are maintained on federal servers. This was a major point that Trump made constantly, that Hillary couldn't be trusted with classified information, but he, of course, could. So the prosecutor put that in at the beginning to show that Trump understands the importance of classified information. Trump left office then in January 20th of 2021. In July, a few months later of 2021, at Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, during an audio-recorded meeting with a writer, a publisher, and two members of his staff, none of these people had any kind of security clearance, and this is from the indictment. Trump showed and described a plan of attack that Trump said was prepared for him by the Department of Defense and a senior military official. Now, I'm actually going to include the names of the country and the official because otherwise it, they don't want to say it in the indictment, but it's clear who it is. Trump told the individuals that the plan was highly confidential and secret. Trump also said, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. That doesn't sound good. In August or September of 2021, again at the Bedminster Club, Trump showed a representative of his political action committee, one of his PAC guys that gives him money. This guy didn't possess a security clearance. Trump showed him, I'm again reading off the indictment, a classified map relating to a military operation and told the representative that he should not be showing it to the representative and that the representative should not get too close. Okay, now back to that situation with China. I'm going to describe it now. Again, this is more from the indictment. And this refers to this. If you remember, there was a story that came out that America's top general, Mark Milley, had contacted his Chinese counterpart twice to warn him that after Trump lost the election, he might try to attack China. As crazy as that sounds, and frankly, it's a little bit treasonous if you ask me uh, with regard to Milley. Right from the indictment. On July 21, 2021, when he was no longer president, Trump gave an interview in his office at the Bedminster Club to a writer and publisher in connection with a then forthcoming book. Two members of Trump's staff also attended the interview, which was recorded with Trump's knowledge and consent. Before the interview, the media had published reports that at the end of Trump's term as president, a senior military official purportedly feared that Trump might order an attack on country A, that's China, and that the senior military official advised Trump against doing so. That's Mark Milley. 
Upon greeting the writer, publisher, and his two staff members, Trump stated, look what I found. This was, the, this was General Milley's plan of attack. Read it and just show. It's interesting. Later in the interview, Trump engaged in the following exchange. This is all recorded on audio. Trump, well, with General Milley, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack China. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look, this was him. They presented me this. Oh, this is off the record. But they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. The writer said, wow, Trump, we looked at some, this was him. This wasn't done by me, meaning he wasn't the one who wanted to attack China. He's blaming it on Milley. This was him. All sorts of stuff. Pages, look, I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know, meaning that he claims he didn't want to attack China, that Milley did. Except it's like highly, totally confidential. This is secret information. Look, look at this. You attack, and by the way, isn't this incredible? The staffer says, yeah. Trump says, I was just thinking because we were talking about it, and you know, he said he wanted to attack China, and what, that was done by the military and given to me. Uh, I think we can probably give this to the reporter, right? The staffer says, I don't know, we'll have to see, you know, we'll have to try to, and then Trump interrupts, declassify it. Trump says, see, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but it's still a secret. Isn't that interesting? I don't know how much more you need to see that he understands the significance of classified information and he's handing it out to people without any kind of security clearance. You could convict them right now just from that, just from the introductory paragraphs of the indictment. It's just total madness. He's, he's trying to convince a reporter that General Milley and not Trump was the one who wanted to attack China. Why is this so important that he needs to go to a reporter about this? Reporters are not his friends, but he doesn't get it. From the indictment, on May 11, 2022, the grand jury issued a subpoena, it's called the May 11 subpoena, to the office of Donald J. Trump, Elmer J. Fudd, requiring the production of all documents with classification markings in the possession, custody, or control of Trump or the office of Donald Trump. Two attorneys representing Trump and the two attorneys, one of them known as Trump Attorney 1, was Evan Corcoran. And Trump Attorney 2 informed Trump of the May 11 subpoena, and he authorized Evan Corcoran to accept service. Evan Corcoran testified to this. It's in his notes that he provided to the government. When Evan Corcoran told Trump they needed to look through the boxes and see if any of the classified records were there because they needed to return them pursuant to this subpoena, According to Trump's own lawyer, Evan Corcoran, Trump said the following. This was recorded and handed to the government. I don't want anybody looking. I don't want anybody looking through my boxes. I really don't. I don't want you looking through my boxes. Well, what if we, what happens if we just don't respond at all or don't play ball with them? He thinks this is a fucking game. Wouldn't it be better if we just told them we don't have anything here? obstruction of justice? How about that? Well, look, isn't it better if there are no documents? He's obstructing justice. It's clear as a bell. His lawyer recorded it. His lawyer's going to testify to it. His lawyer already told the grand jury, case is over. All of this was recorded by Corcoran. Does that sound good to you? Does that sound like someone who's trying to honestly respond to a, a federally issued subpoena? 
or someone who's purposely trying not to give documents back, which include classified materials, including military secrets. Fact, not disputed. More from the indictment. Between May 23, now this is important, listen to these dates. Between May 23, 2022 and June 1, 2022, Trump's valet, Walt Nauta, removed, he's also his co-defendant, at Trump's direction, a total of approximately 64 boxes from the storage room and brought them to Trump's residence. All of this was either found, all just so you know, this information was found on Walt's cell phone. It was found on his cell phone because Walt's going back and forth with the Trump people on which boxes to remove and where to take them. And he turned it over to the prosecutor. More from the indictment. Now, keep in mind, he moved all the boxes. They ended on June 1st, 2022. On June 1st, 2022, Trump spoke with Evan Corcoran by phone and asked whether Evan Corcoran was coming to the Mar-a-Lago Club the next day and for exactly what purpose. Evan Corcoran reminded Trump that Evan Corcoran was going to review the boxes that had been transported from the White House and remained in storage at the Mar-a-Lago Club so that Corcoran could have a custodian of records certify that the May 11 subpoena had been complied with fully. So Corcoran doesn't know that all these boxes got moved out just that day. Corcoran ended up finding 38 classified documents that needed to be turned over. They were put in a Redwell folder, you know, one of those Redwell folders, like a reddish-brown accordion legal folders with a string around it. More from the indictment. Trump and Evan Corcoran then discussed what to do with the Redwell folder containing documents with classification markings and whether Evan Corcoran should bring them to his hotel room and put them in a safe there. During that conversation, Trump made a plucking motion as memorialized by Corcoran in his notes. Quote, this is now recorded, voice. He made a funny motion as though, well, okay, why don't you take them with you to your hotel room, and if there's anything really bad in there, like, you know, pluck it out. And that was the motion that he made. He didn't say it. My God, that's from the indictment. The concern of Trump clearly was that he was worried that his lawyer Corcoran had found classified documents that should have been turned over previously, And now they wanted them back, and Trump didn't want to turn them over. And his lawyer, this is the kind of mindset that's going on in Trump legal world right now. It's complete paranoia and chaos. Corcoran was so worried about being thrown under the bus by Trump that he wrote down every last thing Trump said and did. This is completely nutty. Trump's own lawyer is taking notes of Trump's criminal actions, and he turned it over to the prosecutor who indicted his client. And also, Corcoran testified in the grand jury about it. And that grand jury indicted Trump based on Corcoran's evidence. More from the indictment. That evening, Evan Corcoran contacted another Trump attorney. This one is Christina Bob and asked if she would come to the Mar-a-Lago Club in the morning to act as a custodian of records and sign a certification regarding the search for documents with classification markings in response to the subpoena. Trump attorney three, that's Christina Bob, who had no role in the review of Trump's boxes in the storage room, agreed. Now, why is she, you're asking, why is she signing a certification about how the search went when she had nothing to do with it, right? 
Well, I'll tell you why, because she's a TV host. She's not a real lawyer. From the indictment, the next day on June 3, 2022, at Evan Corcoran's request, Trump Attorney 3, that's Christina Bob, signed the certification as the custodian of records for the office of Elmer J. Fudd, Donald J. Trump, and took it to the Mar-a-Lago Club to provide it to the Department of Justice, Justice and FBI. In this certification, Christina Bob, who performed no search of Trump's boxes, had not reviewed the subpoena and had not reviewed the contents of the Redwell folder, stated, among other things, that, quote, based upon the information that had been provided to her, a diligent search was conducted of the boxes that were moved from the White House to Florida. The search was conducted after receipt of the subpoena in order to locate any and all documents that are responsive to the subpoena and see any and all responsive documents accompany this certification. And it says in the indictment, this, cert- this statement was false, obviously, because among other things, Trump had directed Walt Nauta, his valet, to move boxes before Evan Corcoran did his June 2nd review, so that many of the boxes were not searched and many documents responsive to the May 11 subpoena couldn't be found. And in fact, were not found by Corcoran because they weren't in the boxes he was searching. So what's pointed out, what's clear, the bottom line here, is that Evan Corcoran possibly committed a criminal violation by drafting a fraudulent affidavit to the feds. So did the lawyer who signed the certification, and that's Christina Bob. This is a former TV host, not a criminal lawyer, naturally. Why should Trump have anybody who actually knows what they're doing? If it can be shown that Bob knew that what she signed was false, she can be charged with obstruction of justice and a charge of making false statements to the government. But it sounds like she has an out. There was one line in there that said that the certification that she signed notes that her knowledge is based on information provided to her. That's probably an out. Similarly, Corcoran may have no idea that some of the boxes were removed the day before he did his review. So that's his out, at least for that. Regardless, Trump certainly knew that the certification prepared by Corcoran and signed by Bob didn't review, didn't have the review that was contained in that certification. He knew because he had the boxes removed. So he certainly, at the very minimal, is guilty of obstruction and making a false statement to the government. Oh, okay, I'm getting tired of this. Now back to the lawyers. This is the part that's more interesting to me. Every day we hear about in Trump world about another lawyer quitting on this case, lawyers refusing to work for him, Trump lawyers going on TV complaining about other Trump lawyers, Trump lawyers anonymously stabbing each other in the back. He's got one New York lawyer, I mean, named Tim Parlatori running to liberal media network CNN, the enemy, to do lengthy interviews after he purportedly quit. Now, I use quit in quotes because the lawyer's crying on TV that he was forced to leave due to some other Trump lawyer named Boris Epstein, who is Trump's idiot son, Eric's college friend. So, of course, that's all you need to get a job in Trump world. He's not a criminal lawyer, naturally, but he's in charge of the criminal defense for some reason known only to Trump. And the former Trump lawyer, Parlatori, runs to CNN, he's crying about being forced out or quit or whatever, claims that Boris won't let him have access to Trump, that Boris is not being honest with Trump. Look, all of this may be true, and I I expect that it probably is, but you don't go on TV and cry about losing a power struggle to Boris Epstein on a criminal case. 
Most lawyers would be embarrassed to, you couldn't win that battle. You couldn't beat Boris Epstein, a non-criminal idiot, non-criminal idiot lawyer. Excuse me, he's an idiot also. If you can't convince the client to even speak to you, how are you going to be able to persuade a jury, Tim? So why would anybody get into a case you know is going to be an impossible situation because the client is insane, because the client won't listen, because the client has an idiot non-criminal lawyer controlling him? Well, I'm glad you asked. Some lawyers are so desperate to get some shine in the public They're not embarrassed when they whine on TV because they figure, hey, I'm on TV. As much as Trump Trump might be the worst client ever, he doesn't pay well, he doesn't take legal advice, he makes public statements which provide evidence to the prosecutors against them. At least the one group of people he doesn't seem to be blasting publicly are his former lawyers. Yet you've got lawyers of his running to the press saying how strong the government's case is against him. And, And Trump agreed to that on the CNN interview. Oh, yeah, the case is really strong. Does anybody think that helps Trump? If the defendant's former lawyer is saying that the evidence is really strong, what would a potential juror think on the question of guilt or innocence if he watched that interview? And what does it say about Tim Parlatori that he seems to be taking in delight, taking some delight in knowing that his former client, Trump, that his goose is cooked? This is what Trump picked for his counsel. Now, again, no top lawyer wants this job because for all the reasons I stated previously, he doesn't pay, he doesn't listen. Third, this is also a really tough case to win. What top lawyer would actually want it? You might think about taking it, but as soon as you actually go into it at a more granular level, think about what your life would be like dealing with the idiocy of Trump world and all the idiots in it, and you're not going to get paid, you take a pass. And the parlatory public airing of grievances, his claim that the Trump defense team is some sort of Game of Thrones battle for power, if you're watching from the sidelines a top lawyer, you're looking at this and you're saying, I'm not getting into this. There's no way you want to be involved. Why would anybody want to be involved? And why is Parlatori being allowed to shit all over the team he just left? Doesn't he have any loyalty? It just looks like there's no order and no one's in charge. Why isn't someone stopping him? Because no one cares. They're just out for themselves. Now, let's get back to this Boris Epstein, Russian-born Boris Epstein. He was the one who told Trump to hire this Evan Corcoran. He's the Trump lawyer who thought it was a good idea to take 50 pages of handwritten notes of all of his conversations with Trump, which completely crushed Trump's defense. And all of the notes were subpoenaed by the prosecutor and all of the notes were turned over to the prosecutor. In the notes, it's clear. Trump knew what he was doing was wrong. He was advised by lawyers that what he was doing was wrong, and he tried to obstruct justice. It's all in Evan Corcoran's notes. Crazy. Well, why would he take such meticulous notes of his conversations with his client? I haven't done that in 33 years as a lawyer. I'll tell you why. Glad you asked. Because Evan Corcoran has no idea what he's doing. None. None. No idea what he's doing. He was trying to cover his own ass and had no problem selling his client out. Why? Because he was put on the case by a non-criminal lawyer, Boris Epstein. 
who has the position he does in Trump world because he refuses to tell Trump the truth and he only spews the bullshit that Trump wants to hear, all the Trump lies. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, guess again. Evan Corcoran made iPhone voice notes of himself reflecting on representing Trump in this investigation. What does he think this is like a historical record? All in painstaking detail, and he gave them to the prosecutor when subpoenaed. It's not just handwritten notes, which could at least be potentially interpreted in a number of ways. It's his own voice. He can't escape that. No lawyer with a brain in his head would ever do such a thing. Normally, such recordings, by the way, are deemed privileged as attorney work product or private communications between attorney and client. But there's one exception to those protections. It's called the crime fraud exception. And it allows prosecutors to work around the attorney-client privilege if there's a reason to believe that the legal advice was used in furthering a crime. And the notes that Corcoran wrote up, the voice notes he made, made clear that Trump was knowingly misleading Corcoran about the location of some of the documents that were responsive to the government's subpoena. And because of the crimes that Corcoran was a witness to by his own client, Corcoran testified in the grand jury against Trump. And I'm guessing he'll be at the trial as well to testify against Trump, his own lawyer. (sighs) Again, I'm going to say this slowly for those in the back. Trump's own attorney, Evan Corcoran, his notes are the main basis for this indictment. Corcoran's notes and soon his testimony will bury Trump. By the way, Evan Corcoran's still on the case, hasn't been terminated. So Boris Epstein, the non-criminal attorney, told Trump to hire Corcoran. And he still has a job with Trump? In any sane world, Boris is fired immediately for this level of stupidity. In any sane world, a non-criminal lawyer would not be involved in hiring criminal lawyers. According to media reports, Trump sees a lawyer on TV speaking nicely about him. He hires the lawyer. He hired this Evan Corcoran, who may end up, as I said, being responsible for putting Trump in jail until he dies. He hired him without any vetting at all. He hired him on a conference call without meeting him. Quote, there was no vetting done by the president, a source said of Corcoran, adding that other lawyers had declined the job already. Trust me, that's true. The president got on the call, asked him his name and if he wanted to do the work, and he said yes. I can tell you. I can tell you that only desperate, pathetic lawyers looking for shine would enter a case of this magnitude that way. Any real lawyers would not agree to come in unless that lawyer was assured that he was in charge, that he had total control over the defense, that he could control the client. Not in Trump world. It's more like a a TV set for the, the apprentice show than the real world. Naturally, the lawyers are are all idiots for actually getting involved in this case. They're all killing each other publicly. I read an article in Vanity Fair, you know, another uh, liberal uh, rag. Five current and former Trump advisors all talked anonymously, of course. They're all stabbing each other in the back anonymously. They all hate each other. When the E. Jean, e. Jean Carroll civil case, rape case, was about to begin, a bunch of Trump lawyers anonymously spoke to the Rolling Stone, another leftist rag, and described his lead lawyer on the case, Joe Tacopina, as a blowhard and an idiot. Now, they're speaking again to another leftist rag. What is it with Trump world where they all speak to parts of the press that hate their guts? 
They have to know how it's going to end. Oh, yeah. Anyway, they're all talking uh, to Rolling Stone uh, about Takapina, that he's an idiot. They're all speaking to Vanity Fair anonymously, talking shit about each other. Trump is completely uninvolved because he doesn't pay for any of these lawyers. He doesn't care. When you pay for something, you value it more. When it's given to you for free, you don't give a shit if you lose it. Who's paying for all these lawyers? The morons who give them campaign contributions are paying for the lawyers. You're giving money to Trump, and he's giving it to his lawyers. And the lawyers are using that money and cooperating against Trump. You're part of the problem. He hasn't paid a penny for the legal fees. You have. One of Trumpers, Trump's former lead lawyer, excuse me, former lawyers, I wouldn't call him lead, uh, was Tim Parlatore. As I said, he loves to go on CNN and cry, cries to anybody who will, who will ask him, why did you leave, Tim? Why did you leave? And, and he is talking about a case that he's no longer on. In April, he went on CNN and was asked about Joe Tacopina doing the New York criminal trial for Trump, the one that's coming up next year. He was asked if this was the right, right lawyer for the case. You'd think that one Trump lawyer would support another. Parlatori refused to answer and instead praised another lawyer on the case, purposely leaving Takapina out, and said that Takapina had a possible conflict of interest due to his communications with Stormy Daniels when she was looking for an attorney. The CNN reporter who inter did the interview, she was shocked. Basically, you could see the, the thought bubble above her head. How can one Trump lawyer be trashing another publicly? How can this even be happening? Because these lawyers just go on TV. They don't get any kind of clearance. Nobody's in charge. They're all in it for their own selfish reasons. And look, whatever you think of Joe Tacopina, why is one Trump lawyer, Parlatori, clearly throwing shade at another one of them on TV on an enemy liberal network? How is that not punishable by being immediately terminated? In any other world but Trump world, Parlatori gets fired for blatant idiocy and public disloyalty. What Parlatori failed to mention on the CNN appearance is that Takapina sued him for defamation when Parlatori represented Bernie Carrick, a former client of Takapina's. And Parlatori allegedly said defamatory things about Takapina in the press and was accused by Takapina of leaking filings to the press in order to defame him. Naturally, Parlatori's representation of Carrick resulted in an utter fucking failure. But what kind of lawyer is constantly running to the liberal press to complain about other lawyers on his team? How about just keeping your mouth shut at least until the case is over? He acts as if CNN is the special prosecutor and they subpoenaed him to appear and make comments about the case. Just shut up. Just stay away. You quit. Stay away. Just because somehow, some way, the press wants to talk to you, it doesn't mean you have to talk to them. If you didn't want to represent Trump anymore, just walk away. New York lawyers are watching this and laughing at the absurdity and stupidity of it all. Just shut up, man. Now, I, I liked him, but just shut up. You know better than this. I get that you're frustrated. Who wouldn't be? but at least pretend to want to help the client out instead of just airing your personal beefs and burying your client. And according to The Guardian, a British daily newspaper, the remaining lawyers on Team Trump were concerned Parlatori might flip on Trump and help the prosecutors convict him. On what planet are we living where this is even possible? This isn't a, a mafia case. 
The lawyers thought so little of Parlatori that they thought he might flip and run to the government and give evidence against his own client. I've been involved in a hundred mafia cases. I've had mafia trials after mafia trials. No one ever even dreamed that I would be cooperating against the client. No one ever dreamed that I could have had information where I'd be involved in a crime. Who would ever hire this lawyer? He clearly can't be trusted if things don't go his way. He's not a team player. He's giving interview after interview about why he left. Naturally, at the end of his CNN interview, he predicted that Trump wouldn't be indicted on the mishandling of documents case. Of course, he got that wrong as well. Everything else he did was wrong, too. Every lawyer on the planet, except this one dunderhead, knew that Trump was being indicted, which he actually was like an hour later. Now, all of these lawyers are just killing each other in the press or otherwise. And who do you think this helps? It just helps one party, the government. How is it that Trump can't see this? This is the guy you want to trust with the country, with the nuclear codes, and he can't even keep lawyers in line? Has he done anything right regarding any of the people that he hires to advise him? From day one, all his hirings are bad, and it's never his fault, according to him. It gets worse. Another one of Trump's lawyers graduated the number 175 law schools. She graduated in 2010. By the way, there's like 190 law schools. And she's been practicing as a civil lawyer since 2011. That's 12 years, if you can count. She's not a criminal lawyer. She's a civil lawyer. She worked in fashion before going to law school. Yet she's giving interview after interview about his criminal defense strategy. And she's making no sense. This is this uh, Alina Haba, Yaba, Daba. There, this is what she said, quote, there is context to everything, she said on Fox News Sunday. That context will be brought out on defense, and that's going to be our opportunity. We have not had an opportunity to give our side. Really? You're on TV, on Fox. There's your opportunity. Here's your chance, Helena Hababa. You're on TV. Say the defense. And all Trump do, does is bloviate on his truth social platform about everything that pops into his fat head. Who's stopping him and his band of idiot lawyers from giving his side of the story? This Trump lawyer, Alina Habiba, claims that Trump's legal team will counter all the material that special counsel Jack Smith presented in his 37-count indictment of Trump. I would bet no. Habiba said that Trump had every right to remove documents to his home from the White House and also said that she found it hard to believe that boxes of documents were left willy-nilly around Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate because, quote, he doesn't operate like that. First of all, she clearly didn't read the indictment. How insane is that, that a lawyer for Trump didn't read the indictment? There are pictures of all the boxes of classified documents all over Mar-a-Lago. The pictures, they're in the conference room, the boxes in the bathroom, in the showers. They're in the indictment. Where did the pictures come from? They didn't come from like a secret camera. They didn't come when the, when the FBI came to do their search. They came from the telephones of Trump employees who were subpoenaed by the prosecutor from his valet, who is now his co-defendant. Their texts and pictures in their texting are in the indictment. The prosecutor, again, didn't sneak a camera into Mar-a-Lago. He got the pictures from Trump's co-defendant on his phone, his right-hand man. He's the one who took the pictures of the classified documents spilled all over the ground, and he talks about it in the text, and it's in the indictment. Either she's an idiot, this lawyer, Alina Yabadabadu, or she's a liar, 
And my guess is probably both. The indictment is a killer. Read it. Why is a non-criminal Yentl lawyer talking about things she has no clue about? Why is a young civil attorney who was the general counsel for a parking garage firm from a law school at the bottom of the rankings speaking about what she has no clue about for the President of the United States? How can this even be happening? These are low-level garbage attorneys who are seeking some shine for the first time in their miserable lives. If not for Trump, they would practice and retire, and no one would ever have heard their names. But they wanted the shine. They wanted the shine. And Trump, again, he has no idea how to hire quality people. We saw it during the four years in office where his stupidity at hiring the wrong people hurt the country. Now this same stupidity may cost them his freedom. They want the shine like Yoko Ono. They want the shine, Alina Habiba. Habibi. Look, I don't mean to just toss hand grenades from, from the sidelines. I feel bad about that. I know it's easy to be critical when you have no skin in the game. And I know I have all kinds of flaws as a human and as a lawyer. My God, so many. I don't have enough time in this podcast to list them all. But I can tell you that no other lawyer will ever state that I'm incompetent, that I'm not a great trial lawyer that I'm an idiot. I don't think it's asking too much for lawyers to aspire to be competent and not an idiot. If that's too much of a, of a bar, bar for you, too high of a bar, maybe you're in the wrong profession. And I, I still think there's a, a decent chance, a good chance he won't be convicted in this case because it's, it's in Florida and there are so many Republicans there and there are some people who just will refuse to convict them just on principle alone. But he's not getting acquitted, I can promise you that. Alina Habiba is talking to the press about his defense uh, to the charges as if there is a defense. He's still shopping for lawyers. Do you think there's a coherent defense when he's still hiring lawyers and all the lawyers hate each other? Of course there's no coherence. What you're seeing publicly is what occurred in the White House for four years. When I represented John Gotti Jr., I had a small team of loyal people who worked on the case with me. I had one guy on the team who was an idiot, but John wanted him around, mainly for prison visits and to bring information back to me from the visits. He was incredibly lazy. He was incredibly incompetent. I plucked him off the scrap heap. He was representing Jamaican musicians. And I asked him if he'd be a paralegal and work on the case. My fault. But I simply isolated him when I saw that he was dangerous. He wasn't allowed to into any of the small meetings we had on strategy. If he dared to step out of line publicly, I would have gone to John and told him either I quit or you fire him. That's it. Fire the dunderhead. Problem solved. But no one spoke to the press but me. I shaped the narrative. I planned, planted favorable stories in the press. Our public message was coherent, united, and was designed to get our defense out, namely that he withdrew from the mafia. I wanted to get it into the minds of the public before the trial started. I was 39 years old at the time. It worked flawlessly. 23 days of trial, and Gotti walked out of prison. No one dared speak about John to the press but me. If they had, they would have been fired immediately. But no one would have because I had a loyal band of soldiers with me. I picked my team. When you don't give one lawyer the lead reins, havoc occurs. And that's what's happening with Trump. I actually don't think this Alina Habibi uh, even read the indictment. She has no idea at all what she's saying, just empty words coming out of her mouth. This is what's representing publicly the president of the United States in a case which could end with him dying in prison. How can this even be happening? 
Now, Chapo Guzman, another client of mine who I represented, made a similar mistake, not hiring a team, but hiring lawyers one at a time. It certainly fractured our defense as one of the lawyers was an idiot who Chapo tried to fire mid-trial. I wouldn't let him and finally did fire him as soon as the case was over. All he was concerned about was running to the press and trying to get stupid stories into the paper every day. But Trump isn't Chapo Guzman. Chapo Guzman was a Mexican narco trafficker with a third grade education who came to America with no knowledge of our criminal justice system. Trump is a Wharton graduate, a purportedly sophisticated businessman who is in constant litigation and a former president of the United States. Can he really not figure this whole lawyer thing out? By the way, Chapo Guzman, a hundred times smarter than Trump maybe a thousand times smarter than Trump. There's no comparison. He wasn't educated, but he was smart. Now, I can't stand Trump, and that's no secret. I'd like to see him get convicted. And as much as I'd like to see him go to jail, I think it's best that he doesn't or that he's pardoned in the name of national unity. I agree with that. He just should leave, but he just refuses to leave. So what else can you do but convict him and cage him? He's a rank criminal in every aspect of his life, as we can read in the indictment. But here's the reason why I hate him. His biggest transgression in my mind, in my mind is that he, again, is sucking all the air out of the room and the issues that matter. Fixing our country can't be accomplished while everyone is distracted by Trump's crimes and his drama. While everyone's watching the Trump debacle unfold, Joe Biden is continuing to destroy America. We've got him on the White House lawn claiming the other day, uh, he said the following about transgender people, quote, you're some of the bravest and most inspiring people that I've ever known. And I've known a lot of good folks, Biden said at a pride event, quote, I see more courage in this lawn than I've seen in any time in the recent past. Really? Just a few days earlier, you spoke at the Air Force Academy graduation. Are the people sawing their generals off? Are they braver than the military? And after that speech, by the way, Biden tripped and fell while he was walking. And at that pride event at the White House, on the White House lawn, incidentally, one guy with massive cans pulled down its dress and danced around naked where there were children around. On the White House lawn with the president a few feet away. Another woman who cut her boobs off, she danced naked as well with the scars on its chest for everybody to see. Look, you've got like 70 to 80% of Americans who want to limit transgender rights to stop them from letting kids cut their genitals off or go through a hormone therapy until they become adults. Somehow this is the one issue both parties can agree upon, yet Biden is siding with a very small piece of the radical left and pushing this shit in our schools where there's drag queens dancing around, sticking their asses in juniors' faces, where kids are exposed to all of it. What the far left is doing, what the radical transgender left is doing, is making someone like me, a social liberal who has always supported gay rights, they're turning me into transphobic. And it's not just me they're doing it to, it's most moderates. Everything is sexual to these savages. Everything must be sexual, especially when it comes to children. This filth is taking over and we're too busy talking about Trump and his idiotic problems that he made himself. An FBI informant, there's more. An FBI informant claims that Joe Biden received a $5 million bribe from a Ukrainian company head to stop a Ukrainian prosecutor from indicting this company. This was the prosecutor that Joe Biden publicly bragged about getting fired. 
The FBI source claims that the money was paid through a series of bank accounts so complex it would take 10 years to unravel. This FBI source had been deemed reliable to Biden's FBI, so reliable that they paid him $200,000 for his information. Yet Joe Biden, the man with a number of very expensive houses, even though he makes no money as a public servant, refuses to even address this when asked about it. The Ukrainian who bribed Biden is said to have 17 recordings of his talk with Joe and Hunter Biden, and Hunter received $5 million himself. The public barely knows about this. Barely. Nothing is being done about it. Why? Because all we do is talk about Trump and his many problems all day. At what point do you realize that Trump needs to disappear from the national stage before anything can change? And on top of all the horrible things Biden's doing to America, he's so old, he's barely functioning. He gave a speech about gun control in Connecticut the other day. And at the end, almost like in a, in a delirious state, he said, God save the queen, man. What the fuck does this even mean? Here's Biden talking about gun control in that same speech in Connecticut. Do you even understand what he's saying? Roll the tape, Mr. Producer. Made it harder for people to buy stabilized braces. Put a pistol on a brace, it turns into a gun. Makes it more, you can have a higher caliber weapon, a higher caliber bullet coming out of that gun. But there's more. Here's Senator John Fetterman in office because Trump and his idiot wife thought a liberal Turk with a TV show would be a good choice for a Republican senatorial candidate. Here's two clips of Fetterman talking about the collapse of a portion of Highway I-95 in Philadelphia. The first clip is from the Senate. This occurred just the other day. Tell me if you understand any of what Fetterman is saying. Roll the tape, Mr. Producer. And if you want to make any comments with respect to that, feel Feel free, you're recognized. Uh, no, I, I, I uh, would, would, would just um, really like to, you know, the 95, 95, 95, you know, um, you know, obviously that, you know, you're pretty much preoccupied with the with 95, and I, I certainly am too, and we know it's a major issue. Uh, Adery, not just for for Pennsylvania, but for the east the east coast, and a lot of Pennsylvanians are worried that the delays and repairs bring to its standstill deal. And here's Fetterman discussing the collapse of I-95 with Biden right next to him. Fetterman is in gym shorts and a sweatshirt next to the President of the United States, but what comes out of his mouth is complete gibberish, idiocy, and no one is allowed to stand up and say, "Hey, man, you're crazy." Because then you'll be deemed a racist or whatever you are when you discriminate against uh, nine-foot bald freaks with scrambled brains. Roll the tape, Mr. Producer. And now I'm standing next to the president again, next to a, a collapsed bridge here. And he is here to commit to work with the, the governor and the, the, the delegation to make sure that we get this fixed quick, fast as well, too. This is a president that is committed to infrastructure. Yeah, and then on top of that, uh, the the jewel uh, kind of a uh, uh, law of the inflation uh, bill that is going to make sure that there's going to be bridges all across like this, all across the America getting rebuilt. Proud of having this as your senator, Pennsylvanians? I didn't think so. Seven out of 10 Americans say Biden is too old to be president. Again, a bipartisan position. But we're going to get him again because of Trump. 
Enough with Trump. My God. Last podcast, I spoke about a night court appearance I had over Memorial Day weekend. I mentioned that it was a really horrific case, but mainly I spoke about what night court was about. Well, I didn't talk about the specifics of the case, but it was all revealed publicly this week, all over the media. And the charges are that a 55-year-old finance executive drugged and raped a 14-year-old girl he met online in a Midtown hotel room and that it had gone on for months and that other girls were involved as alleged by the district attorney. Now, after I got him out on bail over Memorial Day weekend, he was again arrested for allegedly violating his bail conditions by being in contact with other underage girls, according to what the DA claims. We're just getting the discovery now. I have not seen a single piece of evidence yet. We haven't had a chance to determine whether these allegations against my client are true. I just don't know. They're allegations, merely allegations. And this is from Alvin Bragg, so you don't necessarily have to think that they're going to be true. Regardless, the charges are horrific, and naturally your first question is, well, why are you representing him? First, you believe when you ask that question that someone like this person shouldn't be allowed a defense. I believe everyone should be given a defense. That's what separates us from the animals. All right. Next, you're thinking of, well, I agree that everyone deserves a defense. It doesn't mean that you have to represent them. And I think that's a fair question. But I just don't see the defendant's plight in a case like this the same way you do. It's, it's different. He's got a family. And I see the damage that the case can cause to the family as well. And how the case turns out, how it does turn out, impacts the family too. And these are innocent people. I get it. But this is what's important. It's not always just the defendant. So what am I supposed to do? Because of my own selfish reasons, I refuse to represent someone because I have some kind of morality grading system in my head as a defense lawyer. This isn't like the Trump situation where I know I can't be effective because he won't allow it. You can represent defendants who are accused of robbing innocent people of their life savings to the point that they kill themselves, but you can't represent somebody who's charged with a sex crime? Well, what kind of defense attorney does that make me? Who would want someone who's judging them? And yes, I'm aware that there is a personal cost to me for representing people accused of such heinous crimes. The hate mail has already started, always from some anonymous asshole who doesn't dare identify who they are. That's very brave, by the way, very brave sending me anonymous emails. Think about how pathetic you are, that you don't have the balls to put your name in. Put your name in. What's the problem? We can have a discussion about it. No, it's got to be anonymous because they're afraid. They're terrified. I'm going to take morality advice from such brave people? This case is all over the press, and it's a reflection on the idiocy of the press and the dumbing down of our society that it's on the front page of newspapers in New York, and I have received press calls from all over the world about the case due to its salacious content. There's been more press coverage than when I represented an Iranian woman who was sentenced recently for her involvement in a case which charged a scheme by the Iranian government to come to Brooklyn and kidnap and kill an Iranian dissident. This is not a me problem. It's a you problem. And naturally, the New York Post published false details about this case that I'm talking about that I just took on. They didn't even bother to try to correct the mistakes after the articles came out because they don't even bother to check with me before publishing these very easily proven lies. I'm the lawyer. I spoke to them briefly once. How about calling me up and asking me if this is true? They didn't want to ask me because they knew that I would say it was false. 
It's all about selling papers. It's all about the clicks. This is not a me problem. It's a you problem. It's a press problem. And what if the defendant is actually innocent? Can we even conceive of such a thing? Oh, no, we're just going to believe what Alvin Bragg says because he's always so right on. Well, I've represented someone whose conviction for sexually assaulting children was vacated. It happens. The people who attack me for representing someone like this, they're going to be on their knees begging tomorrow if they or a loved one is accused of a crime, begging me to take the case. Should I say then you don't deserve a defense because I've made the moral decision not to represent you? I know I don't make my life easier by taking such cases. I'm not an idiot. I get it. But this is the life I chose, and I'm not going to be a lawyer who's concerned only with how the cases affect me. I'm just not. So I make no apologies for it. I make no judgments either. And if you want a lawyer who just wants to win, I'm your guy. If you want a lawyer to look at you like you're some kind of monster, and how is this going to affect me? Not me. I'm not your guy. Boy, this, this podcast took a lot of energy out of me. I'm tired, and it's day after Father's Day. I should be enjoying the day instead. I'm going to have a stroke on, on the podcast. Now, next podcast, I'm not going to tell the story now. I have a very funny, at least to me, a story about which exemplifies the pettiness and stupidity of the baseball card collector of which I am. I didn't have time again to tell it this week, but I will next time. I think it will provide massive insight into how my brain works. And I beg of you, listen to this. You'll learn something. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. You can find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, beyondthelegallimit.com, iHeartRadio, wherever you find podcasts, I'm there. Write to me, I'll respond. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week.